The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, <coughs> proud pony, excuse me, and Viklempt and the host of Autism Live. We have just crested the 12 o'clock hour, which means we are in the final day of the podcast-a-thon. Uh, and what a tour de force it's been, but let me just tell you guys, we're not done. There are several more hours of this thing to go. So, and some really important hours, uh, guests that you are absolutely gonna love. And we've got some surprises in the last hour. Wanna remind you that in the, we're right now, we're in the iPad challenge. We're looking to raise at least $5,000. And that $5,000 will go directly to iPads uh, that people have applied for grants for. You can see on the screen there, it says give butter dot com slash ipad challenge so that's where you will go to make any size donation and there's no donation too small you know it feels good when you give to somebody else and what we're doing is giving that money to families that have asked for and said we need an ipad and i, I this is really poignant for me because functional we have a, a a card in the lobby that says functional communication is a right not a privilege Think about that for just a minute, that if we only say that people who can afford to buy an AUG device or an iPad are individuals who can you know, pay a certain amount of money and they're the only ones that can have that functional communication, I can't live with that, can you? So we want to do something fun to encourage you guys to give generously. And so Dr. Grampuche is going to shave my head, and she's so excited about it. If you've watched any of the shows where she talks about it, she is so excited about shaving my head. It is going to be amazing. Also in that last hour, we have Dr. Stephen Shore, who will be joining us. We, he was scheduled to be on an earlier hour, and that didn't work out. So he's going to pop in and join us. Uh, sort of in between as we're shaving my head, we've got a couple of surprise guests and some surprises for Dr. Grampichet uh, during that hour because it is her birthday next week. And we love to commemorate her birthday, that she, another trip around the sun where she was here to help us all on our journey. So you'll want to tune in for that, but don't tell her. Hopefully she's asleep right now and not watching this. Okay, uh, also want to let you know, as I said, many, many more hours of this podcast-a-thon to go this morning. Let's see if I can rattle off who is what and where. So right now I'm going to do the second half of the talk that we started last night, parent-to-parent -parent top 10 tips for parents of older kids, teens and adults on the spectrum. Last night we did the talk about for the 10 tips for parents of younger kids, and it's different. It is a very different kettle of fish when your kids are older, and we need to acknowledge that, right? Some of the things are the same, some of the things make sense, but some of the things are very different, and part of the emotional journey is different when you have older kids. And the services are different, and the access to services are different. So we're gonna be doing that talk to, uh, right now and during this hour, and we'd love your interaction. We are encouraging you guys to write in now. I've got my trusty iPad here, 
and uh, we're taking comments. I know it's a midnight, but for those of you who are across the world and have said, boy, I wish, Shannon, that we had you live while we're still awake, I wish that you would write in right now so we can have lots of conversations and I will take questions. The hour after this hour, we've got the fabulous, uh, you are gonna love, uh, uh, Lori, and I don't, I'm, I don't want to ruin her last name, but it's Battersh, I think. Uh, she is from uh, our autism, our autism journey with Elijah, and she's a powerhouse, you guys. I think that you're really, really going to love her. Then I'm back for the next two hours. After that, I'm going to be here during the first of those hours with the folks from Ability Life Solutions. I'm talking about Bob DeMarco and Trisha Allen. They are doing some amazing things and we're gonna talk with them. And can I tell you, like you really know who the people are who wanna show up for you when they say, I'll take the middle of the night if I need to, and then they actually do it. And so they are gonna be here in the studio in the middle of the night with me, which I super, super appreciate. The hour after that, we've never done anything like this before. We are welcoming one of my oldest and dearest friends, uh, Therese McLaughlin. She was the director of my one woman comedy show. And we've referred to my one woman comedy show, The Autism Monologues here, and that's about it. But Therese had said to me, if you're doing this 44 hour thing, she said, I want an hour. I wanna be interviewing you about the process of the monologues. And we are going to, for the first time ever, play three of the videos from the, the live show, because they were little live comic recorded pieces. I'm gonna count on you guys to forgive me because they're not edited in the way that they would be if you were normally gonna show them in a programming like this, which is why we haven't showed them before, but you know, it's the middle of the night. So we're gonna have a, a hoot and a laugh. Therese is hilarious. So you're not gonna wanna miss that. I'm just gonna say, if you want a reason to stay up, let, you know, I, I hope we uh, don't make ourselves sick laughing. Let's, let's say that. Uh, and then after that, and I'm not sure if I'm gonna remember the order, I think that it's the SJ Child Show. She's gonna be welcoming the Global Autism Project and talking about how they're partnering to do some pretty important things around the world. If you've been wondering about what it's like for the folks in Ukraine with children on the autism spectrum and fleeing Ukraine, you're not gonna wanna miss that hour. And I, I expect, and I can't imagine anything different because Molly Olapinny from the Global Autism Project will be there. And she's very good at giving us all tips of things that we can do today to be helping to support people who have circumstances that are way beyond anything that we can imagine. So we'll look forward to that. Then after that, Paul Carroll is the autism dadvocate. He will be here uh, and you will love him. Oh my goodness, especially for those of you on the East Coast, that's gonna be a sweet hour with him. It's a little early here, but I, it's worth it, you guys. Get up for it. And then the two hours after that, so important, Tom Island is gonna host uh, an episode of Stories from the Spectrum, and he is going to have his girlfriend, who is Rosetta Walker, the queen of inspiration. How about that for a moniker? The queen of inspiration. Uh, she's gonna be here. They're gonna be talking about love, marriage, relationships on the autism spectrum. So I know I've been teasing that all day long today when those of you have written in and said, you know, we want some dating tips. Uh, Tom teaches the dating on the spectrum 
class that is at the, the weekly class that's at the Ed Asner Family Center. So, and he's going to be sitting here with his girlfriend, so he, he must know a thing or three about that, right? Uh, and then the next hour will be another episode of Stories from the Spectrum. Amy Gravino is back. She is an autism, sexuality, advocate, and relationship coach. She's going to be here with the fabulous Dr. Peter Gerhardt. You guys are going to love that. And then we get into our last three hours. We're going to do an Ask Dr. Doreen with a, a very special guest that's going to pop into our Ask Dr. Doreen, somebody I've been referring to the last 32 hours, right? And then we, Dr. Grampiche is going to do her potty training talk, so that will be really amazing. And then we get to the final hour, which I talked about before with some surprises and birthday celebrations. So that's it. We're rounding the corner here, but it's sweet. There's good stuff coming up. So not to mention this uh, talk today, this second half, because I never, it's so hard when anybody starts talking about something, you immediately go, how does this apply to me, right? And so often with autism, because as Dr. Shore says, when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And it's hard when somebody starts describing things that you should do and it doesn't fit your life, your experience, or a loved one's experience, right? So if you have a three-year-old and people start talking about dating on the spectrum, you go, well, that's great, and I want to remember that for another time, but I need things now that aren't dating, right? But it's the flip, too, for parents who have kids that are older, and I mean, you know, starting at six, seven, eight, but then through teens and adulthood, oh, it can be really tough. Uh, because the services get a little thinner and, and get a lot thinner eventually. We, we talked today with Tamara Mark, and she said, you know, when, when kids turn 21, they talk about it being the cliff, and she said, I call it the abyss. There's a word for you. Uh, send a shiver down your spine, right? Nobody wants to feel like the services for themselves or a loved one are the abyss. So we're going to be talking a little bit about some general tips for things that I have found that are effective because you you got to play the inner game of tennis, right? Part of this is mindset, that if you as a parent, and this is a parent-to-parent talk, if you as a parent are in the right mindset that you can get more done with your older kiddo on the spectrum, your teen or your adult, because really isn't the name of the game here that we want to be good allies, good advocates, be standing there alongside these individuals, helping them to achieve whatever they want to achieve in their lives. So let's get started talking about this. I always like to give the disclaimer that this is a parent-to-parent talk, that, um, of course, our show is always meant for the entire autism community, which starts with the individuals who are themselves on the spectrum. They're the beating heart of our community. Um, But we also include into our programming things that are for people who love people on the spectrum, right? Because they need to be supported too so that they in turn can help support their loved ones on the spectrum. And that includes moms, dads, girlfriends, boyfriends, brothers, sisters, relatives, right? Uh, It includes teachers, it includes doctors, clinicians, uh, the whole gamut. I think it should be the entire world. If I meet somebody and they don't love people on the spectrum, I, you know, I'm like, get on board here, folks. What are you doing? 
What's going on here? Uh, you, you need to f you find your home in this community. So we hope that it, it, this can be of help to people. So I'm, what I'm going to do, the same thing that I normally do, I'm going to breeze through these top 10 tips pretty quickly uh, and just talk briefly about each one. Then I'm going to go back to the beginning and we'll spend a little bit more time, especially on some of them. So uh, the main thing uh, here for number one, you can see on the screen, it says, don't give up, don't despair. And I know that that's hard, that some of you write in and say, well, my child just got diagnosed at 14 and I feel like we missed the boat. I got to tell you that there, there's a time and a place for that kind of thinking, but it has to be brief because if your fear is, oh no, we missed something, if you take two weeks to really be in the grief of that, you will have missed two more weeks. And I got to say to you that you know, when there's an emergency, we don't really have time to be in the grief and the despair. We have to act, right? And if, you, if you've got stuff, if you've just recently gotten a diagnosis, then I would say you've got a little bit of an emergency. Somebody who gets a diagnosis at 14, let's say, that means that stuff has gone, stuff was going enough okay that we didn't get the diagnosis and people were overlooking it. It's unfortunate, right? But now things have come to a head and now we see that we need the diagnosis and usually that signals that there's something going on, a trauma or a place where we got, we got, we hit the wall of this person has been able to mask, this person has been able to get along, they've been able to fit themselves to the situation, but now they've reached a point where it's not a comfortable fit anymore. And there are many blessings in this because everybody I know that's ever got a di gotten a diagnosis uh, later says the same thing to me. Uh, some form of, oh, I finally got to meet myself and understand because before the world was berating me and sometimes I was berating myself for not being able to fit in with this set of rules that I had no idea what they were. And then when they get the diagnosis, they say, oh, that's why, because I don't fit into those rules. And maybe I don't want to fit into some of those rules, yeah? So, but for parents, I, I know it feels like, oh no, I missed it and I didn't, and me, I didn't get in the line and I messed this up. And, and while I acknowledge that that can feel that way, I want to tell you, you get to choose how you go through this life and how you think of it. And that kind of thinking is of no use to you and it's of no use to the person that you love on the spectrum. It really isn't. So spend however many minutes you need to on, on the grief because it's a real emotion and I don't want you to poo-poo it, right? But then you got to kick it into action. And, and that means making a plan. So don't, don't waste a lot of time despairing. So many people that I know, and even myself included, you know, sometimes in the beginning, no matter what age your child is, they paint, doctors will, I think sometimes inadvertently, paint a very bleak picture that isn't accurate. I don't know a single person that has been in this community for any length of time that doesn't have a moment where they get to the epiphany of, oh my goodness, my child is fantastic. Yep, they're not who I thought they were um, when, when I first envisioned my child, but they're fantastic. And when you can accept them for who they are and get to know them for who they are, you will find your life will be richer 
as a result of it. So don't despair. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. You're going to need to take some steps. So let's move on to number two, which is it's time to make a new plan. You may have had a plan, like let's say that your child was diagnosed at three and you made the plan, you did the dream and you made the plan and now your child is 12 and you have a little bit more at three, you didn't really know where you were going to end up on this spectrum and now at 12 you're starting to get a glimmer of who this person is and how their life is going to play out and how much support they're going to need. That all kind of unveils itself. And, and around that age, around 10, 11, 12, you start to go, okay, so I can see that, you know, I thought that we were going to have to have, you know, a conservatorship and all these stuff, but I think that this individual is going to be able to live independently. And then you chart the course to that, right? Sometimes it is the opposite. And that's hard. We have parents who, you know, said, okay, my kid is going to be the kid who goes to an Ivy League college and they gave it their all. And I don't understand why some kids make all the improvements that they do and other kids don't, but we know that it's not a one-size-fits-all. And so sometimes there's a new process of grief that, okay, that's not going to be our circumstance, not going to Harvard, and maybe not going to live independently. They're going to need support throughout their life. And then, you know, that process, I think you do need to go through whatever grief you need to go through, but you cannot leave out this Sometimes it's time to say, okay, new plan. What is the new plan? So before you were going for Harvard and now you see that that's not the thing, but you, you, can't, you can't be in the abyss because they need support. So time to make the new plan. Okay. Um, all right. Still in this category, we have to, have to, have to get respite because, and you're gonna need it more than ever, because as our kids get older, they get bigger. And sometimes that means that when we hit a spot where there's challenging behavior, it gets much more intense, right? But even if it isn't a thing about challenging behavior, sometimes the needs can be overwhelming and you're tired at this point. And you're, entired, you're entitled to be tired at this point. And you know, the, if we look at the normal, and I hate that word, right? But if we look at what the plan was when we had our children, there's sort of this unspoken thing about, oh, we're going to bring this person into the world and we're going to make them our center of attention for a period of time where every breath we take is going to be about them when they're baby years, right? Then they're going to go to school and we're going to get a little bit more separated from them where it's okay for them to go do their thing for part of the day, but we're going to meet back together and be very close, right? But then we're going to hit those teenagers and they're not going to want to have anything to do with us. And then eventually they leave home and they go off and they do other things and start their own family, right? That's what we've all been told. It's the old Carly Simon song. Uh, that's the way I've always heard it should be. But that's not everybody's story. And it certainly isn't everybody's story in the autism community. Sometimes our kids don't leave home. Sometimes our kids don't live independently, right? Sometimes they're going to leave the home at our home and they're going to live someplace else and get a great deal of support. There's all different kinds of scenarios. No matter what the scenario is, our bodies aren't meant to be massive, hands-on caretakers for 12 years, 15 years, 42 years, right? 
it's not what we're meant to do. We're aging, they're aging, their needs are more, and we have potentially less to give depending on how old you are when your child is reaching this age. So it's not only important that we get respite because that's how we're gonna be able to show up, but respite allows us to remember who we are. Maybe a hobby that you like doing. Maybe, you know, the self-care piece that we were talking about last night. Uh, It helps us to remember who we are. It helps to remind our loved one on the spectrum that we have a life that's separate from them, just like they sometimes are going to have a life separate from you, whether that is with a respite worker or, you know, living independently, right? But we're, we're, we're allowing there to be that space between, and it's very natural and normal. If your child hadn't been diagnosed on the spectrum, that's what your life would have looked like. And we now encourage you to continue and have it look like that. That this idea that your child, that you are going to be the main caretaker of your child until the day that you drop dead is maybe not good for you and certainly not good for your adult child on the spectrum. Because what will happen then is that they will not only have to grieve you, but they will have to, at the same time that they are grieving you, go through a transition that it will be very hard for them without your help and support. So respite kicks all of that off um, and allows us some space so that we can begin to see what that is going to feel like. So you absolutely need it. Number four is that you need to begin working on the ITP. Now, obviously, we were saying that this is for older children of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, right? Those preteens and and tweens and adults. So the ITP is the individual transition plan. When your child goes to school and is on the spectrum, they have the right to an IEP, that individual education plan, right? Right. But around the age of 14, a school might start making noises about this ITP. Here's the, the different states have different laws and different rules, and I can't give you a carte blanche on every state, but I can tell you that in all of the states, it is supposed to be in place and being implemented on their 16th birthday. This is in addition to the IEP, so the IEP is there, but the ITP is there, and we're going to talk more about it um, when we come back to this. You need to start working on it, and it is never too early for you to start working on it. You can be thinking about this when your child is six. School's not going to work on it with you when you're six, but you can start thinking about it. Uh, As I said, we'll talk more about it. Number five, uh, work on essential life skills. Very important that we are teaching coping life skills to our uh, older children. This really becomes the priority for them. And this can look different for everybody, but life skills are essential. Please work on them. Number six, uh, doing things in the community because that's going to help us towards that transition plan as well. Number seven, Uh, Find local and global support, which uh, you might notice that was one also in the, the younger children, because you still need it. You need people who can tell you, oh, well, this program, you can do this, and this program, you can do that. You're going to save time and money if you have a local and a global support group. I still recommend TACA, T-A-C-A now, but there are other great ones too. Number eight, you're going to encourage special interests. When we talked with Dr. Grandin 
was it last night? My God, I feel that like the number of hours I've lost track of where we are in which day. Last night we were talking with Temple Grandin, Dr. Temple Grandin, and talking about this very specifically. That I put the, the choo-choo train in here because a lot of times when you your child it starts ABA therapy, you have all these phases, right? So when your child is three and your child loves Thomas the Tank Engine, everybody loves that because we know that they love Thomas the Tank Engine. So we're going to be able to play with Thomas the Tank and we're going to learn colors while we're doing Thomas the Tank because the three-year-old loves Thomas the Tank. Wonderful. But then all of a sudden there's this big chill that happens when your child's six where they go, um... Thomas the Tank isn't really appropriate for a six-year-old. I really hate that. But some parents and some ABA providers, this is very important because what it's not that they don't want them to play with Thomas the Tank Engine. Let's be very clear about this. It's that they want them to be able to socialize with their peers of the same age. And if the peers aren't playing with Thomas the Tank Engine, it's not that we have to completely cut Thomas the Tank Engine out, although they make it sound that way, and I don't like that, but it's that we need to build an interest in things that they can talk about with other peers. So I know it always feels like, oh, we're trying to make them conform to what everybody else likes, but it's really just trying to give them a floor of opportunity in which they can have friends. So, you know, if everybody is into Taylor Swift, um, and they're listening to the Wiggles, and, and they're at the table, and people are talking about the new Taylor Swift CD, uh, and, and our child wants to talk about the Wiggles, the friends, you know, the, the neurotypical kids don't handle that well. So we want them to have a floor of opportunity to be able to meet with those teens. But then they get a little bit older, and then we throw that rule book out and go, you know what, forget that. Because if they have an interest in, in trains, we're going to try to broaden it so that it isn't just Thomas the Tank Engine, that it's all kinds of trains. And then we're going to have them join a train club and they're going to have an online group. for Whatever it is, we want to encourage that because this is how you find the passion that will lead them through their lives and have their life be, have meaning and purpose because it's something that they're really drawn to. People say perseveration, I say passion. And we want it, when they're older, we want to be encouraging it. But we want to stretch it and make it as big as we possibly can. Okay, number nine, if you haven't already learned the fine art of asking for help, this is when you need to do it. Because as your child ages, there is going to come a time when you're not going to be here anymore. You're going to want help. For, so you're going to have to be willing to ask for it. So start practicing it now. And number 10, we're going to find ways to celebrate together. Okay, so those are my 10 things. Let's go back to the beginning. Boop, 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 boop. Okay, and talk about these a little bit more specifically. So whatever you have to do for yourself to keep yourself out of the despair, if that means that you need to have therapy, do it. There is no harm, no shame, no foul in, in having therapy and having somebody that you can talk to and appropriately dump all of your feelings about everything that's going on. Some people journal, some people exercise, some people, you know, get together with their friends. 
Listen, some people drink and some people do uh, substances that are considered drugs. I'm not a fan of that because then that becomes a new problem uh, and, you know, that you have to meter. And, and I've seen the situation where kids have been taken away from their custodial parents because they're engaging in substance use. So I'm not a big fan of that when you're feeling despair. I'm a big fan of doing some of the other things. But get, you know, whatever it is that you need to help you to not get into despair. Because if, if you don't have hope, every day is darker, right? And, and hope may just be in the form of one friend who gets it. That can pull you out of the, oh, woe is me thing, right? So whatever it is that you need. Listen, I love to sit and watch Hallmark Christmas movies. And that's what I love to do to make myself feel hopeful. And people want to judge me. I'm all good about it, right? So find whatever it is that you need. Give yourself that kernel of hope. But you cannot give up. And, and we get tired sometimes, right? But be tired, take respite, and we're going to talk about that, but then get back in there because it's really important. And all of that is part of that new plan. So let's say that we've got a seven-year-old and you've been doing ABA for a while and now all of a sudden they're saying, mm, we're going to have a really hard time getting the funding for this. Well, it's time to evaluate and have a new plan. And you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of ABA, and I'm a huge fan of ABA for people of all ages. The truth of the matter is, is they use ABA with Olympic athletes to help them get to their best performance. About half of ABA that's done in the world is not done and have anything to do with autism. ABA is not a science that was invented for autism. Autism came along later on and said, let's try this, and found that it was very effective. But businesses use ABA. Corporations, uh, you know, as I said, Olympic athletes use the principles of ABA to get the best possible performance that they, that they can. So there is no age limit about, about when ABA could be effective. Um, different, what happens is, as people get older, you focus more on very individual specific things, right? What do they want out of this life? And usually when I'm talking to somebody that's uh, an older kid or a teen on the spectrum, we communicate with them however they can. If they don't already have functional communication, that has to be the priority above everything else, right? But if they have functional communication in whichever form that it is, we communicate with them and, and find out what they want to do. And if that's not what's steering the bus, I would encourage you to stop and evaluate why that isn't the case. Because if not for them, who is it for, right? So the plan has to be about them. It has to be about who they are, not who you thought they were going to be. I have a friend who said, you know, I always figured that I, you know, I was going to have this son who was going to be this tall, uh, really fit guy who was going to be on the swim team and he was going to be the BMOC. And you know, it's, it's like, it's okay to have had that in your mind of what you thought your child was going to be, but there is a person standing in front of you. And listen, this is not just for the autism community. Uh, the, the movie, is, is it Brave? That's from the Disney movie. This is exactly what it's about. That mom is saying, I want you to be this. And daughter is saying, that's not who I am. When are you going to see me for me? Think about this for yourselves. 
Was there a time in your life that your parents looked at you and were trying to put their stuff on you and you finally had to convince them, no, no, here I am. And how did it feel for you when people saw you, when they recognized your talents, when they saw, you know, the thing that you're passionate about that you wanted to do, saw you, not who they wanted you to be. Wasn't that a big moment for you? Aren't those the people that you're drawn to? Don't we want to be those people for our kids? So we make a plan that is based on them. And when our kids are older, we have a better sense of who they are. Sometimes in the early days of autism, it can be that there has been a little bit of a change because if they've regressed into autism, then they were speaking and now they're not speaking, right? We're getting to know this individual for where they are, but it really starts to shape up by the time they're eight, nine, 10, right? That we get a sense for the kinds of things that they love, the kinds of things that they're interested in what they wanna do. Formulate, formulate a new plan for them and do the same thing that we were talking about last night, that think about, okay, so, uh, you know, it seems like they want to go into veterinary medicine. Okay, so if, it, you know, and you evaluate and go, do we think that that's realistically possible right now? And if you, the answer for you is no, I want you to think about, is there, is there a way that it could be? Don't close the door too much, right? Because all kinds of things are possible. I've seen some parents who have, their, their children have said to them, I want to live independently. And they were people that everyone said that's never going to happen. They need too many services, but they took over a decade and taught individual things along the way and said, if you want to live independently, you got to learn this and they would learn this and then we got to learn this to the point where they now live independently with support, um, but live independently. So make the new plan, get cozy with it, dream a little, but make sure that it's about this individual, not some idea that you had in your head. That's not what you would have wanted for you. Don't let's let's make sure that we don't do that for our kiddos, right? Uh, you got to have the respite, and for most of you, this is available in most of your states. You need to get in line for it. They will pay for all or part of it. Uh, they will let you, in some cases, decide who the person is doing respite. You can even hire someone in your family to do the respite. Here in California, we have self-determination now, and I'm really advocating for anybody who has an older kiddo that you really look at that self-determination piece. And I think that once people see how effective that is in California, you're going to have that in more states, right? Um, but make sure that there is respite in your program. And, and you can get funding for it so that it's not coming out of your pocket. And on your way to that, ask friends. It can be as simple as asking another parent of a person on the spectrum, how about we trade? How about you take them on Tuesday night and take them to a movie that they really want to see, and then I'll take them on Wednesday night and I'll take them to dinner, right? This does two wonderful things. It gives two sets of parents respite, right? Gives these individuals two opportunities to get together and and do something that they want to do, right? So it's a good thing. Uh, Get yourself respite. You, You cannot be on all the time. It's disastrous. 
we already know that. Okay, number four, let's really talk about this one, the ITP, the Individual Transition Plan. So this has three elements to it. And one of them is when they leave the high school setting, and you know that for, for some kiddos, if they're not graduating with a diploma at the age of 18, they can stay in an educational setting that's similar to what they're in for high school. They just extend it, and it's different ages in different states. Here in California, it's 21. I know somebody wrote in and said in, was it Wisconsin or Michigan, that it's 27? Amazing. Um, but it's 21 here, and then you get the cliff, right? But there shouldn't be a cliff if we're really following the ITP process. So the ITP says, it's just like an IEP, but it focuses on three things. On what your child will be doing after they leave the school system. Uh, so it's where will they live, where will they work, and who will be their support. So where are you living, where are you working, who is your support? And if you think about this, this is tidy because the first question is, you know, where physically, where is this individual living? I will warn you that a lot of, and this is the school, by the way, this is legal stuff that the school has to do. They have to do an ITP with your student. And yet we hear endlessly of schools who don't and aren't trained in it and don't know what to do with it. You really have to advocate as a parent. And, uh, you know, if, if your child is 14, you should be asking for it at the IEP meeting. They're going to say to you, I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to say, oh, that doesn't happen until they're 16. Well, okay, except that it needs to start being implemented on the day that they turn 16. So when exactly would you like to plan that? Because it's an intensive thing. And if, if you're going to start it on the day that they turn 16, then we're not going to start planning it on the day that they turn 16. That's a, a plan to fail, right? So 14 is a really good time to start pushing them and saying, and, and many states, it actually starts at 14, right? But I think it's in almost all states that it has to be implemented starting at their 16th birthday. And, and in reality, it almost never does. The only time it does is when there is a parent who knows what the rules are and is advocating their took us off. So be that parent, right? Because it ultimately is going to help you and help your loved one on the spectrum. Because if you can, at the age of 18, already be working on where are you going to live, where are you going to work, and who is going to be your support, then it's not an abyss and it's not a cliff, right? So let's, let's go through all of those different things because there are lots of different scenarios. It might be that the individual stays living at home. Be wary of the school just deciding that for you because they will. They'll go, oh, well, they're going to live with you. Uh, well, that should never be assumed that individuals of all ability leave and go other places. There are colleges that, many colleges that take uh, like the full spectrum of individuals who are on the spectrum. Then there's colleges like the Minnesota Life College where people who have some challenges and need help learning how to live independently go to college just for that. There are college programs that have uh, a moderated curriculum and um, there's even uh, Iowa State has a program that is for people 
who are, are not actually going to graduate with a diploma, with a college diploma, but still want the four-year college experience, that independence, that meeting other people. They have a dorm with support, right? Um, so that they're not living at home. Because a lot of young people see that other people, their siblings are leaving, and that other people leave home and it calls to them that they also would like that independence. And we need to make room for that because they cannot live with us forever because we are not immortal. I know it hurts my feelings too, but it's true. There's going to come a day and a time when we're not going to be here. And guess what? The only other alternative is unthinkable, that our kids leave before us. None of us want that, right? So we need to cozy up to this idea that we're not going to be here. And where is our kiddo then? The ITP can help us with that. So where are they living? Dream about it. Do you want them in a place where they're getting support? What does that look like? You can start looking for it and having the school help you look for it. Uh, where are they going to work? I love this because it assumes that they are going to work. Even though the statistics are that people that are on the spectrum are woefully, woefully underemployed, right? Uh, but the assumption that if we put energy into this and help them to find where they will work, then they will have a better opportunity. Because if we're working on that at 14, I wish I had thought to bring it off the, the shelf, but my dear, dear, dear friend, Joanne Laura, who is no longer with us, she wrote the book that's pre-employment skills uh, for uh, ages 14 to 17. And it really is a book she wasn't thrilled with the title of that book um, because her program was Autism Works Now. And she believed that if you started early working on things with a 14-year-old about, you know, how do we apply for a job? How do we interview for a job? Then you've got all those more years to work on something so that by the time you get to the point where they're working, that it's old hat for them, right? So we need to be stressing the employment piece. But then the last one, everybody sort of poo-poos, and I think it's critical, who is going to be their support? Again, the school is going to say, well, clearly that's you. And I'm going to tell you to tell them, no, that I'm not going to live forever. I need to know who else is going to be their support. Who is their community? And that includes their doctor, their lawyer, their friends. Just who's your community? Why are we acting like your child wouldn't have the same need for the same kind of community? It's going to be individualized, but, but that they need to have a dentist and somebody, a place where they go to buy their groceries, and a place where they go to get their hair. The school can be working on all of these things, but so often parents don't know and don't push the school, and the school goes, oh, we just thought they were going to live with you, and that they weren't going to work, and you were going to be their support. Don't let them get away with that. Start working on the ITP. It's never too early. Okay, number five, work on essential life skills. Oh my gosh, this is so important. Did you hear them uh, talking about how uh, earlier today where um, Rachel was talking about, Rachel Bird, about how she had to teach Kobe how to pull the tape and, and tear the tape? And she said, you know, he's almost 21 years old and he didn't know how to do that. And we have people writing in saying, oh my gosh, I never thought about, you know, that that's a life skill and we haven't taken the time to do that because we were busy teaching them how to communicate. So cut yourself some slack. Right? You, were, you had other things that you were teaching them, but now is the time to be teaching cooking, 
right? To be teaching laundry, to be teaching, you know, all the things that somebody needs to do in life. That, that could be grocery shopping, ordering food at the restaurant, picking up a phone and calling and making an appointment, right? We need to be working on all those uh, essential life skills. And, and now is the time. Any time, you know, if you've got a six-year-old and you're like, really, Shannon? Yes, absolutely. Teach a six-year-old how to make themselves a snack. You don't necessarily have to teach them how to make, you know, a five-course meal at six, right? But it's appropriate for a six-year-old to be able to make themselves a snack and not leave the kitchen destroyed. You can start teaching them to load and unload the dishwasher. Things that they need to be able to do, and there it's an opportunity to be able to re reinforce them and for them to have autonomy. And by the way, this doesn't matter if they are an individual who is very impacted by autism or they are somebody who is what a lot of people would refer to as high functioning. I don't necessarily love that term, but you know, somebody who's able to comprehend a bunch of things. They all need to learn life skills. It, it means that you might teach at a different pace, or it might mean that you know you you kind of get stuck on one thing because you're going to give more opportunities to learn it. But they all need to be learning life skills. Yeah, okay. Um, number six: do things in the community. I know that sometimes it feels like we're supposed to sit at home and hide, but you know what? You can't because. First of all, the world needs to see our kids. The world needs to be accepting them, and if we keep them at home, that doesn't happen, right? Um, but you don't have to do this on your own, especially if you're on the younger of the older kids' side. Hopefully, you ha if you have your team, then you can have them help you to go out into the community. But as we're building that support team, for the, the child, teen, or adult that is in your life, we want to make sure that their community is included in it. And that won't happen if we're not taking them to community events. You know, for a year and a half during the pandemic, a lot of us didn't get to go out into the community. We didn't get to enjoy that or go to a festival or a fair or a party, an outdoor, a graduation party, right? And even if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily love a party thing, there were times and places where you went, oh, okay, I'm kind of missing it now. I'm kind of missing standing there and picking out tomatoes at Trader Joe's with other people there because we're not meant to be solitary people. Let's make sure that we're giving our kiddos tons and tons of opportunities to be in the community and have the community embrace them. You'll see as you do these things that things will come up and you'll go, oh, okay, I guess we need to work on that, right? And that's exactly what you want to do because as we're building lives for these individuals where they are happy and, and autonomous maybe or with their support, having that community around them and living in their community is going to help them to reduce stress and feel like they're a part of. We never want to shortchange them. They are a part of. Let's really include them then in the community. Okay, number seven, find that local and global support. As I said, I really recommend TACA. That's T-A-C-A-N-O-W dot org. 
you can go there and they have tons of information there but they do coffee talks and they're starting to do their coffee talks more in person now we just were talking about Moira with this two year, two hours ago feels like two years ago um, but they're starting to do their coffee talks again and basically this is people get together have a cup of coffee somebody speaks or there's a topic that everybody talks about and it's fellowship right but you're gonna find things that you wouldn't have found otherwise I guarantee you you might be right now going oh, I just wish that I could get my teen involved in a social group but I just don't know where one is and you've looked it up online in your area and you're not finding it but you go to something like a coffee talk or you know any other go online and be a part of a support group and then it's somebody says oh you know we found the best group over here and you go oh oh I wouldn't have known because you can't know everything but if we band together you know what I say si se puede we get this done uh, so you got to have that local and global and I said this last night the local so that you know you can ask somebody well you know our barber retired and I, we don't know who to take him to to get a nice shave and a haircut right or the dentist things like that or which which program is going to be best for them you need that local group but you also need people who are parents of individuals that have the same type of autism that your um, teen or adult or older child has because that's going to save you time and it's going to save your stomach lining that something's going to happen and you go oh no the sky is falling and then you talk to that older support group and they're like oh no no no, we went through that it's you're going to be fine you know what we discovered this and then it was fine and you go oh I don't have to panic I'm not the first person I'm not in reinventing the wheel okay I, I talked about this a little bit but I cannot overstate the importance of really feeding this special interest thing at this point in the game um, because I love Nora Ephron always used to say you know what are the five words that describe you and that the words change in our lives from time to time right that um, you know if I were gonna use five words to describe myself right now I would say mom I would say wife I would say, uh, oh gosh, now, now I'm on the spot having to think of things. I, I guess I would say advocate. Um, I would say writer. And, and I think I would say friend. That those would be my five things. But imagine that there was a time when I wouldn't have said mom, right? And there was a time when I would have said to you, uh, one of the first things I would have said would have been mom of a person on the spectrum, right? Because that was my entire identity. And as the years go by, that becomes less and less of my identity. I'm just a mom now. And by the way, that's getting less and less. Too. I'm still a mom and I'm always going to be a mom, but it's less and less the the thing you know there was a time when I would have identified myself as a daughter and while I still am a daughter my parents aren't living anymore and so it's not on my list of five things anymore so now think about that for yourself and think about what words you would use and now think about the person that you love on the spectrum oh what five words would you use for them right um, and I, I, didn't, I, I didn't put in my special interests, but if, if people were going to just describe me by my special interests, uh, my husband would tell you that I love fireworks. 
Uh, he would definitely tell you that I'm funny. He tells me all the time that I'm funny, that that's part of my identity, right? Um, and and we, would, we could go on, like, I love Hallmark movies, right? That's something that you can know about me. So what would you say about the person that you love on the spectrum? And if you can't come up with five things, then we need to spend some time looking at what jazzes them. What makes them happy? What's the place when they're doing that thing, they're in the groove? And if it's something that you go, well, no, that's not the thing. Temple Grandin's mom uh, used to say she had a metal plate on her bed, and that's all Temple wanted to do was spin the metal plate on the bed. And, you know, I'm sure that I know from talking to Eustacia, her mother, that that concerned her. Well, was Temple just going to be somebody who sat on her bed and moved the, the metal plate? Um, but she didn't ask her to not do it. She said, you know what? I don't know what it is that you get out of that temple, but I'm going to, you know, it's yours. You love it. So you're going to do that. It's just, we're going to limit it that you can do that an hour a day, but you also have to go down to the stalls and you have to muck the stalls for the horses. And, uh, Temple liked to draw and she said, okay, now I want you to draw the horses and Temple would draw the horse head. And then mom would push her and say, well, draw the whole horse body. And eventually, you know, that led to Temple drawing buildings and the whole turning the plate, which, which was part of a mechanical desire became something you know, she's one of the top designers of cow slaughter plants in the world, you know. Um, but that all came about because mom pushed a little bit but paid attention to what it was that was of interest to her. So I encourage you to read Temple's books because she talks about this much more eloquently than I can. But I know that this is important as I think about you know, the people that we've had on the show this week, you know, Kobe Bird, and he, he wanted to sing and he wanted to perform. And his mom encouraged that special interest. And look at him now. He is a union actor just off of a hit show on Netflix, Three Seasons. Hello. You know, um, and he's 20. So, you know, just spent the last three years living in Toronto and filming, 20 years old. He's got amazing stories to tell already. But it was because mom fed the special interest, right? Uh, this week we discovered that he likes painting now too. Uh, maybe we've created another special interest, I don't know. But there are so many stories like this. I love the, the, the fabulous Spencer Hart that her mother discovered um, they were getting ready for something and she had Phantom of the Opera playing on the TV and went into the other room and heard this gorgeous opera voice and, and said, what's going on? And her pretty nonverbal daughter at that time was standing there singing along to Phantom of the Opera with this gorgeous opera voice. And now Spencer has performed at the White House twice. You know what I'm saying? Feed the special interest. I know that some of you are like, well, we don't see that. We don't see what the special interest is. But Temple told you last night, we just said, take them out in the community, expose them to a wide variety of things and watch. But you got to expose them to things. Okay. Uh, you got to ask for help. This is number nine. You got to ask for help. This is critical. If you think at this point, and I, I hope that you've let go of the idea that you're going to do this by yourself, but if you still think that it's really time to, you know, put your hands on your head and save yourself and say, I, okay, 
maybe I'm not omniscient, maybe I'm not uh, omnipotent, maybe I don't have to be all things to all people, and lean into some help. And, you know, part of asking for help is, is the acknowledgement of the fact that sometimes you ask for help and it doesn't show up how you want it. It shows up in a way that you're like, nope, that's not what I wanted, right? It's still important to ask for help. And then you can communicate and decide whether you're going to settle for what came or still ask for the thing that you want. Sometimes you ask for help and it doesn't come. It's still important to ask for it. You are 100% less likely to get it by not asking for it, right? Uh, so ask for help. Be clear about what help you could use. Take the help when it comes and thank people when they are helpful. But let go of the idea, you know, it's that Edna Moles thing about no capes because capes get caught in fans. And if you think that you're going to be super parent and you don't need anybody to be able to be the best possible advocate for your child, your cape's going to get caught in the fan. Ask for help. Ask for support. For your, if not for yourself, ask it for your child, teen, or adult uh, because they are going to need it. We all need help. And number 10, celebrate and find ways to celebrate together. Um, if there is something that your child, teen, or adult loves to do, it may not be the thing that you love. Um, I, you still got to find your way to be a part of that with them. And then maybe morph it into something where you find your own thing with them. I love to watch parents who have worked this out. I'm, I'm not always the best at this. I have to really, really work at it. But there are things, one of the things that I did years ago was that I went on a road trip with my son. And uh, we, every night, you know, we went to a different restaurant and we had not been eating out because of the whole GFCF thing. Um, but it was like a moment of celebration that we were gonna go and eat out. And I love it when I get to go on a trip with my son now. Uh, I get to do that less because, you know, he's about to be 20 and it's not cool to go places with your mom. He's going places with other people. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm now trying to find other ways to celebrate with him and, and celebrate who he is with him. And anytime I can find something, it truly makes me happy and thrilled. And, you know, this life is short. Celebrate everything that you can because what's, what's the other choice? It's not good. All right, we are out of time officially, and we are so we're going to pause here. Uh, we're going to throw it over to uh, our our autism journey with Elijah, and I'm so excited for you to have an opportunity to be with this very special mom as she talks about what it's like raising a son who's on the autism spectrum. And then after her hour, I'm going to be back with Barb, Bob DeMarco and Tricia Allen. Patricia Allen, excuse me, um, from Ability Life Solutions, and we're going to have a good time. So, but uh, here we go. Take a, a look at this amazing next hour. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.